Wine Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Hey guys, this is Cody, the Arizona Wine Monk. I'm here with Ray and Julie Stevens over at Trident Winery. And today we're going to be making a batch of uh, Ocotillo wine. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. It's a very, very novel and unique wine. It's the only one like it really in the world. As far as I know, no one's ever done this before. <coughs> so what we've got here started, we've got some water on the boil, so we're going to basically, uh, why don't you go through the process here? Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to take, um, I have three six-gallon pots on the stove uh, with three gallons of water each in them. And because when we picked the Ocotilla flowers this year, we picked 124 pounds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a mountain of flowers. It's more than last year, which was, you said, 60 pounds, which you, all, yeah, 60 which pounds. you did refer to as a nauseating amount. Yeah, and we just happened to get a, a, a better harvest, a better amount of flowers all, all blooming at the same time. So it takes about 60 pounds of flowers to make uh, one batch my size of wine, and we were able to pick it up to do two. That's so we're going to make one today. Um, it, it, it appears that there's some naysayers out there that says this can't be done. That's one of the reasons I invited Cody was... We can do this together and, uh, and, and somewhere down the road be able to drink the finished product. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a pre-measured amount of flowers. What we did, because we did not have the ability to make the wine when we picked the fresh flowers, is we put them in the dehydrator and we, de we, we dried the flowers. So you keep them for, uh, forever um, that way as opposed to having to use them when they're fresh. All my fermenters were full. Um, we just couldn't get the wine made right when we picked the flowers in April, a couple months ago. So we're going to take a pre-measured amount of the, of the dried flowers, and, and Cody can tell you they're, they're pretty crispy. Yeah. Um, I even say that they're crunchy. Yeah, and we're going to put that measured amount in each of the three pots. We're going to bring it to a boil. Essentially what we're going to do is we're going to make Okatia tea, only we're going to make it a heck of a lot stronger than you would if, if you were going to be making it uh, just for the for making tea to drink. Um, I was taught as a child by an Apache fellow that worked for my dad um, to make the, the Okatia tea from the flowers. I might have been 10 years old. Um, he said it was good for stomach problems and muscle aches. Um, I always drank it because I liked it, not necessarily because I thought it did anything for me. Um, but after doing the research, um, U of A studied this plant, uh, the, the roots, the bark, the leaves, and the flowers. And I took to my personal physician, my primary care doctor, the, the composition of the, the chemicals in the flowers, and she was amazed that the Apaches were exactly right. When you boil up the flowers and you make a tea, it's a lymphatic system stimulator. So it helps with your stomach issues and with the muscle aches because it, it helps stimulate your lymphatic system, which gets rid of the garbage in your body. So I'm not allowed by the TTB to put that on a label, but I don't think they can control my uh, First Amendment rights to, to tell the truth. Yeah. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to bring these to a boil, boil them long enough, and Cody will be able to tell you where these are, are quite red, reddish orange. There will be no color left in the flowers, and we'll, and we'll toss those, and then we'll use the tea uh, to make one. Um, 
we're boiling this up at a much greater concentration than you would if you were going to drink it as a tea. Yeah. Uh, just for for uh, flavor purposes. For, well, we, yeah, we're going to be diluting it with water and sugar and acids and all kinds of stuff to to, to, to properly make the wine. So we're we're just looking for a specific flavor. Um, this is probably the most difficult wine I have to make because there's no sugar in these flowers. It's all but not measurable. Maybe maybe one brick's worth of sugar. Um, so we have to fool this wine into thinking that everything we put in that fermenter is great. And uh, so far I've been able to do it. I've only had one batch on me that slowed down and I was able to get on the phone with Scott Labs and come up with a new drink that would re-energize it and work. So I'm, we're continually learning about all this stuff as well. Well, you know, you don't stop learning until you're dead. You don't stop, if you're, if you're not evolving, you're going extinct. Exactly. Do you have another spoon that I can yeah. have this one with? Or? Hooray, I'm helping. <laughs> yeah. I almost feel like I should be putting a little bit of Shakespeare here. Double, 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 double trouble, cauldron burn, and cockatiel bubble. <laughs> oh, I can tell that you and I can get in trouble if we work together too much. Probably. <laughs> but that's most of the fun. Absolutely. So as soon as this starts to come to a boil, this will look like um, a lot like what you see when you look at a magma flow in Hawaii when Kilauea's running. The, the boil, the actually the boil from underneath kind of pushes it up and boils and it just recycles the flowers all by itself in the, in the mixture. Um, all we're trying to do right now by stirring is to get them all wet. With the malolactic fermentations on on the uh, Akatia? Well, I have not. Um, a couple of reasons. ML bacteria isn't cheap, and they don't sell it in a small enough quantity at this point that I would I would need to have three or four wines that I wanted to do ML on all at one time to be able to use it up. And uh, I haven't been in a situation where everything was ready at the same time to be able to do that. One of the big things about urban survival and uh, tried winery is not being wasteful. Um, I haven't figured out anything yet to do with the spent flowers we're boiling right now, but when we make melon wines, they help love the, the peels. Um, can't find any animals that'll eat uh, orange peels yet. Um, so we, we try to take as little well, orange so peels, the answer is going to be throw a big fucking cocktail party with old fashions. Yeah, we need about 800 people here to be able to use up the oranges we burned through. So invite the whole town of Bonnie. There you go. <laughs> um, Julie, um, the last time we made uh, grapefruit wine, she actually took some of the, the skins and made uh, grapefruit candy uh, for the peels. Everybody loved those. And, I, and I've seen it done with oranges and, and other citrus as well. But with many uh, fruits we go through when we're making citrus wine, we 
have a whole new career trying to turn all that into candy. And we haven't found anybody who wants to take the Beatles and do that. We just give them what we don't use. one you ever made? Actually it was uh, Saguaro wine. Um, over 20 years ago, a buddy of mine and I who were in business together, and he was much more of a wine aficionado at the time than I was, we were delivering some product that we made to the botanical garden for the gift shop and kind of standing around while we're waiting for a check. I'm looking at all the books they had on the shelf and uh, one of the books was I think it was titled something like uh, Edible Plants of the Southwest, and it was all recipes for things to do with uh, the stuff you can get out of the desert. And looking through it, I made the mistake of looking at my buddy and saying, hey, uh, there's a uh, recipe for saguaro wine in here. And we picked uh, way too many saguaro fruit. You know, they're right on the 4th of July, so it's oh, yeah. hot as hell. You get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you try to be out of the desert by 10. And I now know, uh, with the winemaking experience I've gotten and education, that recipe was never going to work. So we made close to 100 gallons of saguaro wine. And, and about halfway through the uh, backyard redneck process that was in that book, <clears throat> he got a job offer and moved to Austin, Texas, so guess who got to finish all that stuff? Oh, fun! And about the time, 20 years ago, when I moved to Pine. So, it was a six-month process, and we picked it about the 4th of July, so sometime around New Year's it was supposed to be uh, done with everything it was going to do. And I would say 95% of it was the most nasty rancid vinegar you've ever seen in your life. And the small portion that didn't go was probably an accident. Um, anyway, saguaro fruit is kind of unique. It has its own natural yeast in the fruit. Really? When you see saguaro fruit turn bright red, and then you look, and you see some of them look like they kind of blew up like yeah. flowers because they did. And if, when those fall off, if you pick up that and smell it, you can smell the fermentation of the alcohol in it. Oh, wow. That's one of the reasons the animals love the seeds so much and the fruit so much is because they get buzzed. Um, so it was a number of years later before I started becoming more diligent. I, I wanted to, because of the cannery we have here doing organic food in jars, we started realizing just how much waste there is in the produce business. And there have been many times where free or cheap or wholesale or below wholesale um, we've been able to get some outstanding organic um, fruits to make these wines with. And it's all things that if uh, somebody didn't take it within the next two, three days, it was going to go bad, it was going to go to the dumpster. So we finally got these people at these produce uh, distributorships to understand what it is I can and can't use uh, as far as quality. And uh, I've turned down 9,000 pounds of organic strawberries before because I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a fermenter empty. I didn't have a way to bring them here. I was, you know, out of town. Whatever the case was, um, I told them call the food banks. Somebody needs to take those, but I won't take them and waste them. Yeah. 
And a few times they've said, well, these strawberries are, you can have a smoking deal on these, and they're 90% good, you're gonna find some moldy ones in there. We have to sort them and wash them anyway. So uh, we picked them up, brought them home, and we could hardly find a bad berry in, in, in 1,800 pounds of strawberries. Nice. And it takes a little over 900 to make a batch of my wine. So we went on the radio program here in Pine and Payson, and I said, if anybody wants organic strawberries, a buck flat. And the postmasters from both towns, and every little old lady who wants to make strawberry jam, in one afternoon we got rid of everything I couldn't use so we didn't have to waste it. That's awesome. So here's another question. Are you ever thinking of doing another saguaro one? I am. Um, it would require kind of an army of people with the right tools. You can't damage the cactus. You can't pick the, uh, the fruit. And it's, it's not an insurmountable task to teach people, you know, how to, how to pick the fruit properly. Um, it, it resembles strawberry or um, swirl fruit. If you didn't know any better, you're the closest thing you would compare it to would be tasting a lot like strawberries. Okay. Um, it's got millions of little tiny seeds inside each fruit. Um, I don't remember the exact number, millions is, is a little high, but it is loaded with the seeds. And the seeds are super high in protein, and the natives, the Native Americans here, we grind them into flour and, and use it to, to cook them. Um, I have bags of those seeds upstairs I've saved. Yeah, I'd like to do another swirl line. It's just a matter of uh, you know getting a hundred people together over a couple of weekends around the Fourth of July. Um, then every single fruit has to be cut in half, and you have to carve the the, the right inside out with a spoon. So it's quite time consuming. Um, I don't know how expensive the labor would make the wine, but it is really good. Unfortunately, the last couple of batches I made like some things that are really good and you say, oh, I'm going to store this and we'll drink it later. And then you never do. Somebody like Cody comes over and says, we get to talk and I go, you know what? I still have a little swirl wine. You want to open a bottle? And the next thing you know, it's gone. So We haven't done that with the saguaro wine yet. That's because I, I already did that with other people on the <laughs> left. Let see. You're starting to see some. Just now starting to get hot enough. The color is starting to fade out too. Yeah, the color is starting to fade out. We're, we're just going to boil it long enough to where when you pick up some of this, there's no brown. And it makes a reddish purple tea. So, Suarez have their own natural yeast. Do prickly pear fruit have their own? Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, they do not. Uh, you, you'll almost never see those fruit pop open. You know, they'll sit on the plant, they'll dry out and fall off unless animals get them. Um, prickly pear fruit, and as well as the past, because we, we just came up with a prototype for, for Novolitos and Aloe. God, that was good. I chased it out the last time I was here. And... Um, Novolitos and Aloe both, and uh, they are somewhat related, but they're both good for controlling blood sugar uh, and uh, Minimizing the effects of diabetes for people who have diabetes. So we're, we're trying to put as many healthy things together as we can. Kind of like this wine. I made this wine because I liked it, but it turns out that it's got health benefits as well. 
physician looked at the chemical makeup. She says, Ray, do you know what these chemicals are? And I go, well, I went on WebMD and there's a place you can type in different stuff and it'll kind of tell you. I said, I have an idea. She says, this might be the world's first lymphatic system stimulator because as far, as far as she, in her education, there aren't meds for the lymphatic system. You see this one starting to look like lava? Yep. And you'll see the, the, the boiling breakthrough. There you go breakthrough and it'll start recycling the flowers from the bottom to the top and, and vice versa. See how it's holding in on the oh, side? Yeah. Try right. Yeah, so once it starts, that, that, this is part of the process, there's very little stirring that needs to be done because it's kind of doing, it's kind of doing that itself. the recording here and we will start again once everything's all boiled up.
and put it in the chinois in a five-gallon bucket and let that drain. And if we want to really be anal, we can press it, I suppose. But it only takes a couple of minutes, and this this will pretty much self-drain. And then we'll take what we can't get out with a ladle and put it in the chinois, and we'll dump it in the big filter that's on top of the 55-gallon container. And that'll catch the rest. We'll scrape that off and put it in the waste bin as well. See, there's almost no color left in those. Now, we thought about using these as compost, or? Yeah, well, that's, that's what we do. It goes in the garden and we till it in. I, I tried it as much as I can find a, a, a better or another use for it, like animal feed or something, because I have an awful lot of stuff to till in my garden. Not that that's a bad thing. Um, now, here's another odd question. You know, anybody who's farming pigs? Because pigs will eat just about anything. I, I'm raising four pigs right behind this one. There we go. I already tried it on like this. Wait, oh, no. So we got most of this. We're able to skim off pretty easily. And then turn the heat off. Don't burn your hands. Yeah, that would be bad. Makes it hard to hold wine glass. It really does. Really, really, really does. And the reason for not pouring the whole thing in there is good job. That probably weighs 15 pounds, and I, and I don't know what the weight limit is for this uh, filter material. Yeah. But if it exceeds, <laughs> if it exceeds, it's, it's all going. It's all going there, and I have to filter it out. Julie, if you could rinse those out for us, that would be helpful.
that away from me. Yep. I learned that many years ago making my homemade teriyaki and going to dump some and I dumped it toward me and, it, and some of it splashed and ran down my leg and I had a really nice um, hot sugar burn. What's left of the flowers in here in the uh, chinois? Uh, we still have those left? Yep. Um, yeah, let's put them in the chinois. Actually, probably do this. Uh, as much as you can take it down to the very end. Um, I'm report it. Because some of that will drain out. We'll get, you know, we're trying not to waste any of this. Exactly. Tea we work so hard to make. Might even say we didn't really tea us off. Yeah, you don't want to get teed off. God, no. For what purpose there? Are we going to replace this one more time? No, I'm just going to pull this one over here next to the So we don't have to rip it all into the stove. That would be bad. Well, as many times as I've cleaned this sucker, I, I know how much fun it's not. Smell about potato flowers, so well, this is interesting. What people comment is like some kind of an unknown white wine they can't Identify. put their finger on. Yeah. Buy a sake. Yeah, or or heat it up in a sake flask and serve it with sushi. It's the best sake you've ever had.
this synthetic cheese block, which it, it stands up to heat, it's sanitizable, um, reusable for a, a couple of dozen times before doing stuff like we're doing right now, you kind of wear a hole in it. Yeah. And it's cheap. It's great for getting skins and seeds out of red wines instead of pumping it through a filter logging filters and you know all that. Just makes me think of a filter story when we were bottling uh, the reserve Barbera at the pageant. The filter got clogged and the pressure went up and boom. I'm yelling at the people, turn the, turn the pump oh. off and the hose oh. pops off. Oh. Hits me about an inch away from where it would do permanent damage to any chance of me ever having children. I understand. I collapse to the ground screaming and pain going, <laughs> And the hose just goes, whoosh. And then there's a, a lovely fountain of Barbera that goes across the Kind of like a hose with a nozzle on it that you didn't mean to drop. Yeah, and it just goes oh across God. the ceiling of the winery. I'm go just like kneeling in pain and everyone else is laughing hysterically at me and just like you assholes. <laughs> well, I was with Gary that day, so, you know. Yeah. So the volume of tea we were able to make, because the biggest part of it I made before you got here so we didn't have to uh, watch the stove that long. We're just less than 60 gallons in this drum. This this drum to right here holds 60 gallons. Okay. So we're going to do a little less, because when we make six batches, we're going to do a little less, like nine and a half gallons of this each to get the same quantity of tea per the other stuff that we are going to add, the water, the sugar, and, and all that other nonsense. So what we'll do is, because these drums are so hard to move and they're full, especially the inverse sugars, yeah. I have one drum in there, we'll work out of that one until it's empty. And then I'll bring a cart, and we'll bring it in the right number of five-gallon buckets of each, and we'll just build from there. Okay. And the main reason for putting the lid back on this is just to keep the bugs and stuff out. Get rid of that. Is, is there a broom floating around? Uh, yeah, actually. Wow, that is a nice dust bag. Holy shit. Yeah, well, I make big messes. It's all shiny and chrome. I polished it just before you got here. I wanted to impress you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the end of the day, we could be in so much trouble. This is probably true. I should have brought my pipe. Tobacco smoke or just pipe, all right? Yep. Well, uh, if I can be vulgar and crass, uh, someone once described uh, cig you know, smoking a pipe is having a long, slow, languid screw uh, with a woman of your dreams, cigars a quickie, and then the cigarette is just jacking yourself off. <laughs> Pretty damned accurate, actually. So, this is why I prefer a pipe. <coughs> well, I was really um, disappointed when uh, Oprah went off the air because a few episodes passed where she shut down. I was supposed to be on there. It was a special about men who have sex alone. 
Okay. The specific gravity of this stuff is all but the same as water. No, I took some out there. The pigs won't eat it. Oh, you did. Cool. So we're going to measure this tea and and, uh, and weigh it like if it was water. Excellent. Because there's almost zero sugar in this. We can we can judge gallons. It's it's rounded off to eight pounds per gallon for water. It's eight point three four. Yeah. It's eight's close enough. Um, so, I, I need where you're at. Um, and a very easy way to do this in the winery we can't really fit five more 55 gallon drums back there so we're gonna have we're gonna use carts and roll the stuff back as we build
Have you tasted this tea before? No, actually, I have not. Uh, I imagine with, with the cannery here, we can find a mason jar you can drink out of it. I know it's high tech. Are you kidding? I've had wine out of mason jars before, so. I think, yeah, it, I think it happened here. Who's that? Yeah. Here's a specimen jar. Oh. And you may want to put some ice in that. Actually, no, bad thought. Into the winery there. That is a very good question. One that I fear I cannot answer. First is we got. I got to make sure that we, as we're doing this, we actually keep track of everything we do. Of course. So we're going to start out with nine gallons of tea. I already know we're going to need at least 15 gallons invert in the balanced water. We're trying to do. We're trying to accomplish four things all at once. We want between 15 and 55 gallons in here. This this tank this is actually graduated, so we know what, where our level is. That's written on the outside. Um, we want as close to 75, 80 degrees uh, as we can. That's one of the reasons why you don't boil the tea up and make the stuff out of hot tea and hot amber because it's going to be 100 and too much. Yeah. Um, much like Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're gonna we want we want the volume correct. 
We want the specific gravity to come out to 1.120, that's 16% potential alcohol. Um, and then we're going to check the pH, we're going to adjust the pH, we're going to write everything we did for this first batch down so we can just duplicate it. Sounds good. So, you want me to start pouring these yeah, in? Yeah, you can pour those in and I'll uh, get my, let's see, probably the easiest way. This is the one that takes the longest to do because we actually have to figure out what we're doing. Darn. I'll get it in the bucket. Move this a little closer. Yep. Dump this in there, and this uh, surface is so slick the bucket slid. Ooh! And of course, I made a mess. I thought I was so smart doing it this way because I thought, hey, I can do this. I won't spill drop. So these are really clever ideas that you have to watch out for. Yeah, I have a lot of really good ideas that don't work.
goes in there. That's for the next bag. Oh. Uh, how much is in there? Did you just start pouring, or did you already put the other I one? I put the other one in. Okay, so... Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, let me figure out how Well, the specific gravity won't be any different. So, the last batch will have to do... We're going to make this batch just like, go ahead and dump the rest of that in. Okay. The last batch we'll make with no OPTFO. Okay. Because the specific gravity is not going to be different because that's almost, that's almost to zero anyways. So it, this, this will just, uh, and we won't be able to calculate the acid addition off of this one. We'll have to do it off the second batch with only two buckets of flour in it. All right. Because the pH, and then we're going to have to, Whatever the acid we put in the second batch, we'll need to put almost twice that to, to cover this. Exactly, that makes sense. All right, now screwing up. Oh, that's right. That's that's about what half of winemaking is is learning how to fix stuff. This is true. So what we do here, food grade hose. Rather than haul water in buckets. Makes sense. Oh, actually, I need this end in there to run, to pump hot water through it. Just as different than the ones that have just the two buckets of them. Okay. We, I want to try to get this to about 3.4, 3.3. Um, that's where I found I think I like the taste of the wine the best and where I have fewer problems with fermentation. Sounds good. Does that sound reasonable? Does to me. So with the uh, 15 gallons of invert in there, we should be somewhere close on the specific gravity. So we'll bring that level up with water to just below where we're really going to want it. And then we'll check it. And, and if, if it's obvious we're going to need more sugar, we'll, we'll figure out how much to put in and do that. And we'll do that till we get to the level we want and the specific gravity. Sounds good. Then we'll check the pH. So what, without the kink in the friggin' hose, that's always a good sign. Um, you started putting foils instead of wax. Yeah. Uh, um, I finally found a place I could buy foils for less than a penny piece. Nice. And the wax is less expensive than the traditional price of foils, but it's so time consuming. Yeah. 
And with the, the new Ferrari machine over there, it takes less than one second to uh, uh, shrink the foils. Yeah, I've used those before. What's that? I've used one of those before. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, we just got that one a couple of weeks ago. Okay, so uh, let me get a Sharpie and dry off a spot and we'll mark the, the drum where we want to go to. That's why they call this permanent. <laughs> so we want to fill this. Just about the line that's already there again. There we go. So when, when this is to this line, we want obviously that volume. We want specific gravity 1.120, and we want this all at about 75 to 80 degrees. We already know pretty much the inverse sugar and the and the. We'll check the temperature anyway, but we already know that our ingredients are all about that temperature. Yeah. The water might be a little cooler, but when last week when I made the hibiscus wine, it was like 78. There you go. Do using this, doing it the same way, so. So, as long as they're running water all over the floor, we're doing good. Yeah, so this, might be, this might be the first time you ever made wine to add water to something. Is what I spilled in Earthberg sugar on. It's easy to clean up. So, and I'll get the drill so we can stir that. Because what happens is that invert's so dense, it's like honey. It'll sink to the bottom. Yeah, no. And if you don't get it mixed real well, you don't get an accurate specific gravity. So once we get the sixth drum pumped in, we have 300 gallons in the fermenter, then um, I've got a redneck stirring device that will stir that entire fermenter while we um, get the yeast ready to put it. So it's actually a modified drill press on a platform that lines up directly with the center of that hole, plug it in, put the stirrer down in the wine, and walk away from it. The drill press will stir that wine forever. Oh, good. Try to make as many things as I can so I can't screw them up. Okay, I've lost my stir. Nope, it's right there on the. Uh... Oh, my, my vision's getting so bad. It's a wonder I can get any of the That's what all that over there is. That was the grapefruit that came in the day, the last day I was here, was it? Might have been, yeah. It's only been a few months. Yeah, yeah this, we started this 14 March. Yep, that's what I was passing through on my way to Wilcox. Yeah. So. yeah, this turned out really smooth. You'll have to take some home. I'd love to. Um, I'm really my about third that. time of grapefruit wine uh, making it. This one we used um, Ruby Reds. 
blood orange or blood grape. What am I trying to say? Ruby reds. One of them was called um, Oro Blanco, white gold, and the other one was pinks. And it was about equal parts. And this is so, it's still very, very dry like the, like the other two that I made, but the, but the mixture of the three together, I think, created a much smoother tasting product. Yeah, that was, I remember biting into that grapefruit and snacking on it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were, we were mashing the snot out of them when you were here. <laughs> and then uh, took one on the drive and been good as I was driving down. Yeah, do you remember which ones you got? Was it the one with the real thick skin or was it um, the pinks or? I think it was the pink. Okay. If I remember correctly. Yeah, and the good part is, is I still have access to the same three trees that all the, well, it was actually like five trees, but from the same three locations um, to make the same exact mixture again. Oh, nice. <coughs> Where the first couple of times it was, hey, I got a lot of grapefruit, you want them? Well, you can kind of tell what they are when you cut them, especially most ones in the valley are either pinks or ruby reds or, uh, and there's a few down there that are ornamental and you don't even, you can't even taste, you can't even palate one of those, they're so yeah. nasty. My parents have a lemon tree in the yard, so what I might do is tell them to pick all the lemons and I'll bring them up to you. When the time comes. Well, we're trying to get people. We're trying to get people in the mindset of not wasting stuff. Yeah. Well, they would just sit there and do nothing, except so uh, for what I take up and Gary throws into the smoker to get smoked lemon sours. Yeah. So, if you can use them for wine or something. You know. Well, I don't know that I would. I don't, maybe I would make lemon wine. I, I, I don't know if it, because if grapefruit's not too tart, lemons probably wouldn't be. Yeah. Because uh, grapefruit's harder to eat than different, but yeah. you know, harder, you know. Um, yeah, it, might, it might be uh, good doing it with like um, Valencia oranges and maybe 10% lemons. There you go. You know, something that you can make that as a combination. Oh, I didn't know that in yet. Nope. I probably better do that. Do you watch uh, Channel 3? Uh, not very often, mostly because they don't actually have a TV at all. Oh, okay. Well, you might be smarter than all the rest of us. Not having to listen to that shit. Yeah, I, I... I get whatever news I get on Facebook, just people sharing news articles and... Because I have very conservative friends and I have very liberal friends, so I get it on both sides, so I can right. easily see both sides of any issue, and most of the time I just end up going... Yep, ignore. Ignore. Yeah. Ignore. Well, that's right now. I, I'm, I'm an independent. Oh, so am I. But I'm, not, but I'm definitely not a pretty Democrat. I, I, I just can't see being on everybody being on the dole of the government supporting all that shit. And that's just my personal mm -hmm. opinion. It's probably worth what you paid for it. Nothing. Okay, so we're going to get this mixed up really good. We'll check the specific gravity. If we're still way too high on the specific gravity, then we'll just put more water. Mm -hmm. If it's obvious we don't have enough sugar now, putting more water in there is not going to fix it. Yeah, exactly. Let's see if I can get everything sticky. 
that's oh, what she said. Oh, time by, we've gotten better other than that. <laughs> other than that mess I just made, we've gotten a lot better at um, not making a, oh my god, how did this stuff get so sticky mess? So, hydrometer, let me wash that. So have you ever made fruit wine before? No. Well, not, uh, not that this is fruit wine, but it's not great, so. Oh, I'm sure it'll be great. Not, huh, this is Come on, float where I can see. Yeah, we're still a little low on sugar, but we'll let it settle. Probably going to take a half a bucket of sugar and then the balanced water to raise this line, and that's probably going to be about right. The reason I knew I needed at least three in here is with the flour line we started last week, it was 15 gallons plus a quart to get to the right specific gravity. Those flowers had a little bit of sugar in them, these don't. Yeah. So it might take a little bit more um, sugar than that than it did for that batch to get this right. So how did you originally get interested in wine and winemaking? Well, I was got interested in wine when I was 15 years old. And I was on a camping trip with my dad and his buddies from work. And my dad's crazy Italian friend brought uh, Chianti Classico to mix into the spaghetti sauce that he was trying to make from scratch in the middle of the wilderness. Okay, don't tell me you stole it. Oh, I didn't steal it. I was given to me. <laughs> okay. He, he said... Here, Cody, be good that and finish this bottle off for me after he poured in what he needed for the sauce. Right. <laughs> okay, so I'm I put some more paper in this bucket and dump it, and then we should be sick. Go ahead, let's go ahead. Story but anyway, so poured into a glass, grew up watching Frasier, so I knew kind of how to approach the glass of wine. Uh, so let this be a warning to uh, parents everywhere be careful what your kids watch, because they might end up being a wine critic. They might want to emulate the people on TV. Yeah. So anyway, um, I can tell what really clinched it, though, is that night was the night of the Aurora of March 31st, 2001. Uh -huh. And so here I was drinking Chianti Classico in a red solo cup in the middle of the Arizona wilderness, looking up the northern lights going, shit, did I just peak at 15? I need more of this. <laughs> <laughs> and so from there, I started saving up money and giving it to my parents. They would buy bottles, and I would take notes and drink it and research different grapes on Wikipedia and all that mm -hmm. fun shit. stuff you do. And then, then it just kind of developed from there in terms of, you know, wine making came later. My wine drinking and researching about wine itself came I, I earlier. Think, I think that's the case with most people. There's not a lot of people that started out as a winemaker before they drank wine. This is true. Um, definitely wasn't that way for me. Um, you know, growing up, in the 70s, and uh, the girls drank Chacaray over with 7-Up, and you know, there was not a whole lot of true wine drinkers at the time, at least not in, the, in my friend circle. And uh, I drank some of that, and it was like, yeah, it's okay. But in my Navy days, it was Jack and Coke and later Rum and Coke, and I still like that a lot. Let's mix this up. 
to stand up in there, it's too slick. Wash it lay it down. Um, and it was only after that super failed batch of Ocotillo wine that I, or not, not Ocotillo, Sporo wine, that I was like, you know, we wasted all that fruit and all those man hours putting all that together. Yeah, I suppose if I really learned how to do this, you could make wine. So that's where that all started coming from. God. Getting old sucks. Some timers kicking in? Uh, no timer. <laughs> they call it crap. I can't remember a thing. <laughs> someplace close. That's not sticky yet. So Keyword yet. Oh yeah, it will be by the time we're done. Because this will go pretty fast after we get this uh Say we need to put that in there and okay. the balance of water, and we should be set. Sounds good because we're, we're just less than 1.12, we're over 1.11. So, so it's going to take 17 plus or minus a little 17 gallons of invert per batch. All right, so this. know when that gets to that second line. Will do. And the other thing to remember when you make fruit wines, you need to use water that has no minerals in it. Now why is that? You can't clear minerals. And now. So what we're going to do with this hose, so it doesn't drain on the floor. Aha! After I let it drain on the floor, and don't have time to clean it up, I figured that out. <laughs> so, anyways. We'll give this a good mix, we'll pump it in the fermenter, and then we'll start what would have been our first batch. So we get, oh, we need, actually I need to take the pH and we need to acidify this because I already know the pH is not going to be right. I'm not gonna bet any money because I know that that's how. Never bet, never bet another man in his own game. Exactly.
So the pH of uh, just the T was 5.2. So um, we're not going to get a true reading for the rest of the batches, but we can get we can fix this one. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I no, that's all right. It's all going in there anyway. It's true. Too bad then. Well, there's a little acid in the invert. It takes acid to make that conversion. So that might explain. Plus, we have we have twice as much of this in here. It's true. So it would make sense that it should have a little more acid than half that much. All right. Mason jar, tartaric acid, scale. Scalpel, Dremel. Process different, the same. It's very different. Um, oh, from what I thought it would be. I honestly didn't know enough about uh, the process of making fruit wines versus grape wines versus a flower wine, which I guess this technically qualifies as. Um, I didn't know enough about the difference in the process. You know what I know, of course, is you know grape wine making. Sure. Everything else is kind of a mystery, so I'm always looking forward to expanding my knowledge and learning more. And well, a big part of what we're doing right now is we're just trying to fool the yeast into thinking that's great. So this is a half a pound of tartaric acid, and it sh as many times as I've done this, it should be close. Alrighty. And then we'll mix the sun out of it and check it again. Then we'll make the next one the way we should have made this one, and then we'll duplicate the rest. The last one we'll just make with water and sugar. Okay. And we we'll, and then we'll have to take a, a quick um, sample, and if we need to adjust the pH a little bit, we will, but it won't be up much. I generally like to start this this wine at three 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 four. Um, less than that, it doesn't seem like there's enough acid in it. Hmm. Um, what do you like to drink as far as well, acid levels? It probably varies with the wine. It really varies from grape to grape and move to move. 
And in the summer, I generally like to drink something with a little bit more acidity because it feels more thirst quenching. Yeah, no, okay. it's more refreshing in the hot summer sun while you're sitting. In winter, you know, I'm not as determined to seek acidity because, you know, I don't need that refreshing character as much. Right. See, I tend to drink this one cold, and I don't know if you feel the same way about it, but the same wine cold versus room temperature. You almost did it. Didn't I tell you? This is why I do that on it. Because <laughs> I knew I'd do oh, That's funny. Um, <laughs> The same wine, uh, room temperature versus cold, um, I tend to, my palate tends to tell me there's less acid when it's cold. Um, is that? It makes sense, actually. Because that, that coldness uh, masks some of the character of wines, which is often, you know, if, this is why you serve bad wines cold, because they taste better. You know, if you bring that bad wine up to room temperature, then those flaws and everything will become more noticeable if there are any. And I'm, it also makes your three dollar or three buck chuck or whatever taste you know almost tolerable. Okay, this is at three point one with that amount, so we know we gotta use we gotta use less. Alright. Um, we we're not gonna adjust I'm not gonna reverse this. That'd be very difficult without adding more water and sugar. Well you can use bicarbonate, but um, potassium bicarbonate, almost no grape ever needs the, the pH raised. Yeah. Some fruits do. That the hibiscus, just boiling the tea, it was 2.4. Oh. That's how acidic it was. So I had no choice but to re, re, uh, neutralize some of the acid or it wouldn't have fermented. Yeah. Or it would have just started and then gone like that and you would, uh, you would have had sweet, syrupy, juicy stuff. Which so. case you use it for cocktails. Yeah. Now, I didn't need 300 gallons of that. <laughs> Again, one hell of a cocktail party. So what we're going to do, we're going to stuff that down right against the bottom of the drum. Okay. I'm going to make sure I actually put the hose in the fermenter. That's pretty good. My extra sets of hands. I got them hanging on every one of these posts. Finished wines, I don't use this pump. It takes its snot out of that right now, which is good. It's putting a lot of nitrogen in it, mixing it, you know, mixing it all up for a while. But there are some wines, especially like Pinot, that doesn't like to be beat up. Oh, yeah. So that device on that fermenter right behind you there, uh, that we're pumping out the grapes with the bottle, that put their pressure down in on top of the wine and forces the wine out with, without any agitation. Um, that's how I do it. That's how I, I do most of my pumping power fermenter. Pumping in. This does a lot of what you want it to do. It aerates and stuff. You know, put a little bit more nitrogen in there. Don't pee in the fermenter. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. What? You still? Um, I'm, yeah, we're making sure. So it's going to be on the floor. Make sure the valve on the fermenter closed. 
started that one. I started putting one in and it started running the musket. That's where musket came from, isn't it? You want to put some uh, water in the, the mop bucket and mop up. Yeah, they're not cheap. This one's all stainless steel and all Teflon inside. And then the one on the floor over there, I'm bringing up right now for Bumble. Um, it's got a timer on it. Uh, it's a timer. And it's the same one as this one essentially, but it's all um, poly Teflon. So I'm having a device made that will screw to the bottom of one of these caps. This is my rig up for getting the CO2 out here. And this is thread and bottom. So what I can do is I screw a device in here that would spray the wine out. So when this, I can hook up the uh, out input to the pump from the bottom with a, a cap on And then into the top of the fermenter and tell it how often I want it to pump open. That is awesome. It'll pull, pull the wine out of the bottom and pump it back into the top and spray it all over the top of all the salt or skins or whatever it is you're fermenting. So that it's hard, I, I do it. And I made a tool to reach in there and knock all that stuff down. But man, it's trying to work through a hole that big to much down. Yeah. So pump over is going to be the easiest way to keep that stuff wet and push down. Every 30 minutes. I, I haven't figured out what the, what the cycle's going to need to be yet. But every one of these that's got the hose up to it has this on the box so I can switch that out when I need to. Nice. How do I get sugar in the back of my leg? Magic? FM? Yeah, what, what's, you know, with, like, when Nina's here, we've done this 15 to 20 times. We can build this back a little lower now. We're taking a lot more time to build a little lower. But part of it's because I want to make sure we get skis. This is so, so much more difficult to make. I don't want to get something that exactly. But what we need here to do right the first time, especially the point that it's got fixed. Every winemaker I've talked to said that Bubba was one of their winemaking careers. 
uh, I'm going to pause this for now. Yeah, it's not that it's not noisy enough. I wish I could have those off, but the pump won't run without them. No, yeah, exactly. Well, that, and we've kind of already done this, so what's left is yeast. Yeah. So we will adjourn and talk about yeast when we get there. So now we're prepping the yeast for uh, Arakatia 1. Yeah, so what we need to do is we need to respect the ratio of 5 grams of yeast for every 6 gallons of wine. And we're doing 300 gallons of wine, so we're going to do 250 grams of yeast. But we, you don't just put the yeast in, you use the starter for the yeast. And the starter we're going to use is made by Scott Labs, and it's called Fermate K. No, excuse me, it's called GoFirm. And I remember GoFirm as the startup. So being as we're making a 300-gallon <coughs> batch, and I've done this a lot, I already know it's going to take three-quarters of a pound of GoFirm. We're, we're putting that in 110-degree water and mixing it in real good with a whisk, which I didn't bring. I'll go get one. Anyways, uh, God, man, my head at? So what we're going to do is we're going to mix um, go firm three quarters of a pound in about a gallon of water. If you read the manual on this stuff, the amount of water is not as important as the temperature. So set the scale up. And for those of you who can't see through electric wires, go firm kind of looks like a brown, a light tan powder. Um, it's got yeast hulls, it's got nitrogen, it's got all the things that it takes to make the yeast happy as a starter before we add it to the wine. You want to, you want to get the yeast actually doing something before you put it in so it doesn't shock the yeast with the chemical difference. So we're going to put three quarters of a pound Go firm by the scale. Can't get much luckier than that. And we're gonna slowly whisk that into the hot tap water. 110 degrees is too hot for the yeast, but it does help the, to emulsify this powder and make it. set this aside and we're going to let this naturally come down to 100 degrees.
Then we're going to take the gram scale. And we're going to weigh 250 grams of yeast. Uh, that might just be enough. Where are we at? 252? 252. Right. That's close enough. So, what we're going to do, let this mix. I'll, be, I'll get the heat gun and we'll tell, we'll tell what the temperature is right now. I got it. Thank you, sir. And, uh, it's the yeast I can do. <laughs> oh, Jesus. If we started drinking, you know, if it wasn't for all this wine making, we could be getting drunk. I know. It's a shame. Yeah, see where it's at 116 right now. Yep. So, um, what we can do, then once this once this starter gets to 110 plus or minus a degree is close enough, um, we're at 116.6. Once this cools off, then we'll add the yeast, stir it in a little bit, and we leave it, and it'll actually start cooking in there, and you'll start seeing foam and all kinds. Of, it, it's a big party in there. The yeast is going to town. So. That sits for 15 to 20 minutes. You don't want to go over the 20 minutes. I'd rather go a little bit less than have the yeast actually eat up all the nutrients in there and then say, and then throw the finger at you when you dump it in the wine and it doesn't work. So I usually will set my alarm on my phone when I dump the yeast in it about 15 minutes. And then sometime right after that, I'll put it in the fermenter. So if you'd like to push pause, we'll go mix that last batch and pump it in. And then by then, this, should, this stuff here should be uh, cooled down. Now begins the stirring of the yeast. Yeah, so we've got the uh, yeast starter that's, that's uh, cooled down to 110 degrees, and I'm taking 250 grams of yeast and stirring it into it. And then we're going to let this sit for, the book says 20 minutes, I usually do it a minute or two sooner so I don't go over, and I'm going to have my phone tell me. Google set my alarm for 15 minutes. Okay, 4.04 4 p.m. There you go. So it'll tell us when 15 minutes is up, a minute or two later, we'll dump it in. As long as we see uh, active fermentation in this container, it should be fine when we put it in there. Um, a couple of restrictions. Um, you should never be more than 17 degrees difference between your yeast starter with the yeast in it and the temperature of the must. Um, otherwise, you can shock the yeast and it, it'll give you the big finger and it won't do anything. So it's always helpful to remember to check the temperature of your must when you're making the yeast up. What you can do if the must is too cold is, let's say, your yeast mixture at 100 degrees, it'll cool down to 80 or to 95, 92 in that 20 minutes by itself. If your, let's say, your must is 72, that's more than 18 degrees. You can take a ladle and you can take a little bit of the must that's in there and let's say um, we've got a gallon in here so maybe put a half a quart of must in here. That will cool this down and it will get the yeast used to eating the stuff it's going to be poured into. And you can and you wait another 20 minutes and you do that again or you can even do, even do it as soon as 10 minutes. It's called atemperating the yeast. You do that until you're within that 17 degrees. 
And you've also got the yeast used to eating the stuff it's going to be feeding on. So that, that's how you get around the temperature problem. Because sometimes you're going to get fruit in, let's say you're, you're squeezing grapes and you've got to get them in the fermenter and you, you pick them in their 50 degrees in the morning and you follow the instructions for making up your yeast and there's a big difference in temperature. So that's how you get it so you don't kill the yeast when dumping in something too cold or too hot. And the yeast you use are, um, uh, you I, told yeah, me what yeah, strains before. Yeah, I use two, two, two strains of yeast because I'm not using sulfites in any of my wine. Uh, and everything's organic and I want to try to keep it that way. Um, I'm using two strains of yeast that have an 18% alcohol tolerance when I'm only making wine to 16% potential alcohol. That um, gives me the ability to, if I have a problem with fermentation, it's usually not because the yeast uh, timed out because of too high of an alcohol level. And both of these strains of yeast are really good at eating fructose, which is the second um, the glucose and fructose are the two most common sugars in wine must and like a little kid the yeast eats the dessert first which to it is the glucose so when you have a stuck fermentation problem more times than not that is uh, the, the glucose will have already been eaten and the yeast isn't eating on the fructose so you need a wine that or a wine yeast that likes fructose so I'm, because of my high, high alcohol level and the way I make my wines, there are, are two strains of yeast um, that are made that I get from Scott Labs. There are, there's a lot of other ones made by other people. But I use EC1118 or K1. Um, most of the time I use EC1118 and I'll use K1 if they happen to be out. They, they both have pretty much the same properties. It's the yeast that if you've got a stuck fermentation that they'll recommend to restart one. So I have fewer stuck fermentations from using that. So we're going to get uh, the last little bit of the wine pumped in, and we'll come back uh, live when we put the yeast in, and then we're going to start drinking because it might be a few hours before this thing actually kicks off. Yeah. Well, I can't stay too long because I'm going to get back home and. Well, you don't need to drive after drinking anyways. But uh, <laughs> I was actually trying to be funny. But oh. It was sorry. another futile attempt. No, no. I, I, at, we, at yeast, you're trying. At yeast, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know I used that one before, but, you know, why mess with the classic? Okay. Okay, we're almost at the 20-minute mark, and we can see active fermentation with the yeast and the starter. So as long as I can pour this in here without missing the whole too badly, um, we'll have a started batch of wine. And right now, our uh, must is at about 80 degrees, and we're at about 94, 95 on the starter, so we're within the 17 degrees, so we shouldn't kill the yeast with shock. And it's in there. Close up the fermenter. Hook up my discharge for my CO2 so we don't snuff everybody out in the building with too much carbon dioxide. That would kind of put a damper on things. Well, just before you crap out, you get real euphoric, but that's not a fun place to be either. Hypoxia is not fun. No. It's kind of like that place you get when you drink too much and just before you pass out. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, 
what I'll do is I'll take a Sharpie and I'll mark this too. There should be a little bit here. Guess I won't. Anyways, I'll, I'll make a, a mental note of where the water is pushing up in this uh, trap right here. And as it starts to ferment, first thing that will happen is it will build a little pressure. It will start to push this water up and then it will be bubbling like the hibiscus wine down there like crazy. That's uh, the CO2 escaping. This, this being below grade, th this building and CO2 being heavier than air, if I had three or four fermenters fermenting in here at the same time, it would produce enough CO2 in here that mice and rats and everything that breathes air in here would all crap out. And then us being taller, it would take a little bit longer for it to build up that deep in here, but you would eventually walk in here and you wouldn't be worth squat either. Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. So we, we designed a, a way to get the CO2 out of the building so we don't have to worry about that. The last thing I wanted to have to do was put a bunch of CO2 alarms down here and have them go off in the middle of the night. Yeah. Just get it out of the building. Then you don't have to worry about it. So this is the hibiscus wine fermentation. Hopefully here bubbling. I guess with that, we can probably close out the podcast because all that's left is cleaning and, and waiting for the... Uh I'm waiting for the ferment to get started. Which yeah, and what I'll do is as soon as it starts to ferment, I'll take a video of the of it spouting out all the CO2 and I'll send it to you so you'll, you'll have that as proof of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, proof of life works. I mean, yeast is life. I mean, technically is what it is. But on that note, gang, we're going to close out. And tune in next time for all sorts of more fun wine stuff. Uh, this is Cody, and I've been here at Trident Winery in Pine. And I hope you guys had a good time listening in. Till next time. I think I said that.